When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good morning or afternoon, depending on when this drops, and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics here at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Crisson. How you doing today, Corey? Live from Kalamazoo, Michigan, on this fine Sunday morning after Pitt uh, rolled out QB4 and beat Western <laughs> Michigan 34 to 13 and look it's going to be known as the the Nate Yarnell game and it's going to be known as you know the symphonic Beethoven performance if you saw the video on Twitter after the game Pat Narduzzi said Nate Yarnell was playing Beethoven you know in the hotel in the hotel and I didn't think anything of it I'm like oh okay he's you know listening to Beethoven and then after the game Coach deposits this video on Twitter, and it's Nate Yarnell playing the piano in the hotel lobby. And I'm like, "This is some psycho stuff." You know, what, you're you're playing you're playing classical music in a hotel lobby before your first career start. You're a red shirt freshman. You've never done this before at the college level, and you're playing Beethoven on a on a grand piano in a random hotel lobby unbelievable stuff from Nate Yarnell and he didn't blow, you know, blow up the stat sheet by any mean, but you know, no, but let's start at the beginning, you know, yeah. it's 34, 13, they, they, they beat um, Western Michigan. And I would say if you watched the game, it was a lot closer than that final score. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it stayed very, very tight until the fourth quarter. So, you know, I, I think there was probably some, some sweaty butt cheeks going on in the fan base a little bit, you know, people a little bit concerned and, and rightfully so. You don't want to lose to to a, a school like that in a season where you've got a lot of promise. So, you know, I understand. Starting a third string or fourth string quarterback, scary always. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, Keaton Slovis was available for the game, right? I mean, that's what it was reported nationally anyway. So can you shed any light on that as to how he could be available to play yet not healthy enough to play? You know, I always – think that's an interesting dynamic because you see it and you hear about it all the time about how um, so-and-so can play but won't play unless he's absolutely needed. Well, then what where, What do you define as absolutely needed? For, right. for a quarterback, I think it's more clearly defined, right? Like if Nate Yarnell goes down with, knock on wood, some kind of injury, then Keem Slovis would have been ready to play. So 
here's what we know about the situation now, and here's the clarity we received. First of all, I thought I would have sold, you know, I would have put, I said, I tweeted it. I put the who wants to be a millionaire final answer on Keen Slova starting. Because I thought he was going through the pregame routine. He was going through it with sure. with the backup center, Terrence Moore. Owen Drexel didn't travel. He, you know, he was looking good and confident and walking around and seemed chipper during warm-ups. I'm like, he's going to play, isn't he? And Nate Yarnell trots out for the first snap, so my bad. But um, we asked Pat Narduzzi, you know, what's the situation? And, you know, he basically said Keaton was cleared by team doctors, by, you know, medical prof- professionals, whoever it may be. Slovis was cleared to play. He could have played. And Narduzzi said he felt Keaton wasn't quite 100% quite yet. So it ultimately came down to, you know, DNP coach's decision. And this week, Narduzzi prepared Derek Kyler, of course, the Dartmouth transfer, and Nate Yarnell, of course, the former three-star prospect who, by the way, I mentioned this in the story too, and people were freaking out. It's like, why are we starting this kid in his first game on the road, the team that beat us last year? If you look at recruiting rankings and player rankings, Nate Yarnell, with the rating that he got on, I, I did this with 24-7 Sports. I don't know if you saw me post this, Gary. He was a four-star, right? Three-star, according to 24-7. Well, I thought he was a four-star. But – Here's the thing. Of all of Western Michigan's all-time recruits that they've pulled in, right? Guess where Nate Yarnell would have ranked? I'm guessing number one. Number one. He would have been Western Michigan's best ever recruit dating to whenever 24-7 started doing the rankings. So, and I again, I wrote this in my gamer. And they've put some wide receivers in the NFL, so it's not as though they haven't yeah. produced any talent. Yeah. So... So regardless, Nate Yarnell was going to be the best play, best player on that field, you know, opposite them, you know, or, or whatever, however you want to word it, right? He was still going to be better than any other player that Western Michigan was going to put on the field based on, based on that metric. So this wasn't like Pitt was starting some kid that came into the building on Monday. You know, Nate Yarnell's been there. He's He's been through practices. He's scout team. He's working with first-team defenses. He understands it. He knows the playbook. And, look, you, you give Nate Yarnell only 12 passing attempts, and this was a textbook Pat Narduzzi game plan. Like, I said this after the game to Jerry DePaula, who covers the team for the trip. I said this. I said, if you could pick one game in Pat Narduzzi's coaching career and say what game defines what Pat Narduzzi was about – this game is a candidate just from the sheer standpoint of game planning. It was run the ball down the throat, wear them down, and then strike when the iron's hot. That's what this game plan was, and it worked flawlessly. Now, it looked ugly in the beginning, which I know we want to talk about a little bit with some of the play calling, a lot of running. But, again, that we'll style in, worked. We'll get into that a little bit more. I just want to drill a little bit deeper on the actual quarterback situation before we talk about the game because – I, I wondered watching it from the play calling how much of that was because he didn't know the entire playbook and you kind of touched on it already like illustrating that you think he knows most of it I'm not 100% sure because how many snaps would he really have been getting in practice during that competition it looked to me like they had about 10 to 12 different 
passing sets that he was really accustomed to. And a lot of them seemed to come out of the pistol, which I don't know. That seems like an odd formation to be where you'd focus a, a new guy. It, it makes hand handoffs a little awkward. It makes even passing a little bit more difficult sometimes. Maybe that's where his comfort level is. You know, obviously we've seen Frank Signetti, the offensive coordinator, adjust to his quarterback, right? You put Keaton Slovis in the shotgun against West Virginia a lot with a lot of 11 personnel and 21 personnel, two running back sets. And then when Nate Patty has to play against Tennessee, he adjusts 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, and he puts Patty under center. Here we saw a little bit of both. We saw under center. We saw 12. We saw uh, 21. We saw um, him in the shotgun in the pistol, like you mentioned. The, the, the touchdown run to Abanacanda was out of the pistol. So, right. so this is a product of Frank Signetti making his adjustments. Again, remember we talked about last week against Tennessee where Signetti essentially had to pivot like three times in that game because you start the quarterback, he gets hurt, you adjust. He's healthy. You, you play with him healthy. He gets hurt. You adjust. You make your halftime adjustments. You make all adjustments everywhere. This was a Frank Signetti, you know, dial it up so Nate Yarnell doesn't, you know, have to do anything too insane or so he doesn't have to, you know, go out and be Joe Montana on this in this game. This was all about, I mean, Izzy carried the ball 31 times. You know, I, 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 right. I quit during the game. You know, he's going to get the, the workload that Javante, Javante Williams fantasy owners want him to get, the Denver running back, because <laughs> everybody's clamoring, hey, feed him the ball, feed him the ball, feed him the ball. They fed Izzy the ball. That was the entire plan of yesterday was to run the ball down the throats. And by the way, Sebo Flemister got in. You got a touchdown run uh, from Daniel Carter. You got, a, you got a, you know, a bunch of runs from Vincent Davis. So, they use their running backs, which is something we, we talked about all training camp and all through the first couple of weeks. And they had the same exact play to Gavin Bartholomew down the sideline, too, that you saw against Tennessee. He just didn't make any insane hurdles on anybody. Well, let's take a quick break here. And I should probably throw out some kudos to you for managing to make it nine minutes into a podcast without bringing up what... Uh, your, your alma mater did there so <laughs> yesterday Let's we'll get there quick one. we'll get there i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. And one more question about the quarterback. I promise I'll stop after that. Um, somebody proposed on Twitter right after this game, well, we got Rhode Island next week. So let's start Yarnell again and and let Slovis sit. Now, I, I can see the logic in that. 
you know, you know, let him get a little experience. It looks like Nick Patty might be out for a while. It'd be good to get your back up a little bit more time. But I think we saw from the first couple games that Keaton Slovis kind of needs to work on his timing and, and, and working with, with this offense a little bit too. I'm not sure I'd waste that opportunity if he's healthy. Where are you at on that? This is a great topic. I, this is a really good topic. Um, by the way, if you heard me chewing in the end of the first segment, that was me having my hotel bagel uh, as you know, <laughs> I woke up probably 45 minutes before this. So if you heard chewing noises, that's me being a professional. Yeah, this, is the, this is the glamour of covering teams that nobody gets to see is these poor, <laughs> these poor sons of bitches got to wake up at like eight in the morning. <laughs> After like not leaving the stadium till like two. Oh man, I love it. You though. have no idea the the bleakness of it. I feel so. I love <laughs> Everybody it. Everybody thinks it's such a glamorous job, but it's tough, man. No, I love it. This is this is the fun stuff. But you have to kind of make do with what you can. The coffee's great, by the way, uh, at this place I'm staying. But anyway, the quarterback question. I love this topic because I did see this as well last night, and you you have two sides of it again. Nate Yarnell, he played well enough against Western. He kind of earned the right to at least have that consideration, especially Pat Narduzzi said yesterday he didn't feel Keaton was 100% healthy. And I want to make a point to you know highlight that because if Narduzzi felt Slovis was 100% yesterday, I wouldn't put it past him to play him. So is this going to be – Keaton is 100%. We are playing him, period, end of story. Or is this going to be a Keaton is still not 100%. Let's still not play him. Nate Yarnell's QB won again. I think that as long as Slovis's health checks out, I feel like they are going to play him. And here's why. Along the lines of what you said to start, Gary, where we saw it in the West Virginia and Tennessee games, there were moments where the receiver timing wasn't 100% clean. There were good plays, don't get me wrong. He made good throws, receivers made good catches, there were good plays, there were touchdown passes, obviously. It's not like, but it's also not like they have the the most fluid timing in the world, and they're not 100% in sync. That still needs to develop a little bit, and, and, and this is always important, the case. Important designation, too, the reason that I think I'm personally worried about it. We've got one more game before ACC play starts, and that's where you really want hit everything to be firing on all cylinders. Of, of course. That, that Rhode Island is the last tune-up. Of course, and another topic we could get into is how many injuries Pitt has right now. And, and yeah. the, the gravity of the players that are injured, but regardless with the quarterbacks, I see both sides of it. And I see how both sides of it could be beneficial. On one hand, you play Nate Yarnell against Rhode Island and you're guaranteeing that Keaton Slovis is going to be hundred percent into ACC play. Like that will be the like set it in stone, lock it in guarantee. If you play Nate Yarnell against Rhode Island is that Keaton Slovis will be 100% healthy no questions asked going into ACC play. You're not risking another injury by putting him out there against Rhode Island. You're not risking a, you know, concussion we were told it was. You're not risking another concussion. You're not risking an ankle or anything crazy. You're keeping him in the bubble, right? That's yeah. the positive with playing Nate Yarnell. The positive to playing Keaton is exactly what you're saying with developing chemistry with the receivers and, and ironing out some of the kinks. 
I think that what they are going to do is, is as long as Keaton is 100% healthy, he's going to play. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that's up for debate. But I, I don't think it's a bad strategy from the standpoint of what you're talking about with developing that timing. And by the way, I think just from getting Keaton more comfortable with Frank Signetti's play calling, more comfortable with the offense. I mean, think about it. We yeah. played three games and Keaton Slovis has had, what, six quarters? of right. live, run the offense, get the playbook going. I mean, uh, six quarters out of three games, by my math, and that's two half. Quarters of that against, two quarters of that against West Virginia was very much so feeling them out. And right. Not, you know. So by, my, yeah, so by my metric, that's half of the season he hasn't played. It, you wonder if, if Pat Narduzzi would be open to almost treating it like an NFL preseason game, starting Slovis. Get 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 a decent lead and then go with yard yard now to finish it off. I'd like to know if he's thinking that. That's something maybe I'll ask him cool. on Monday. Yeah, we'll for, see. I've never seen him do it. Be, I've never seen him like make cool. a decision like that with QB. Be cool if a reporter was in the room Monday to ask him that. <laughs> <laughs> Along with him. Well, you know, I don't I don't have to say hint hint for you to get the hint. Oh, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. So let's talk about the actual game a little bit because. Izzy Abanacanda, obviously the star of the offense. I guess Jared Wayne, too, um, before his injury. But uh, 31 carries, as you already said, 133 yards and a touchdown. It took him a long time to really break through. You know, he was he was getting stopped at the line or near on, on a whole lot of those carries, and it's not as though Western Michigan didn't know that the, the runs were coming, you know. Mm-hmm. Vincent Davis almost cracked 100, you know, 11 carries for 83 yards. So we definitely got to see a little bit of that running back by committee that was advertised at the beginning. I'm glad I got to see Sebo Flemister get his a little bit too. Andre Powell, running backs coach, told us this week we were he's been trying to get Sebo involved. He wants Sebo to have some plays, but product of the West Virginia game, Rodney Hammond, product of the Tennessee game is the Abanacanda. Both those guys get hot. You don't take them out, Right. Right. And also Flemister fumbled his first carry against West Virginia doghouse question mark. Was he in it? I don't know. Anyway, but Flemister too, four carries, 29 yards. You know, he had a pretty nice run there. He had a longest 17. He had a, he, he, he looked okay. And look, this was exactly like you said, what was advertised even by the way, without uh, Gabe Hoyt, right tackle. He didn't play uh, without uh, Owen Drexel at center. He didn't play Jake Cradle move from right guard over to center, and Blake Zumovic started right guard, which caught me off guard because in warm-ups, I saw Slovis warming up with Terrence Moore, the backup center who came in last week for Owen Drexel when he got hurt. And I'm like, that's a indicator a little bit. And then, of course, Nate Yarnell starts. So good job, Corey. Um, but, <laughs> again, the running game. Let me ask you this, by the way, because I didn't really see it live. I just, you know, remember the play a little bit. Did they show Jared Wayne, like, getting taken off the field or, like, going to the tent or they, anything on TV? They showed he and uh, Marquez Williams coming back out af- after the half. They walked out under their own power. They didn't have crutches or boots or anything. Okay. Um, no idea what those injuries were. You have to assume with Jared Wayne, it's probably concussion protocol. Yeah, could, um, be. could he, be. He did take the headshot there with that big catch down the sideline. Yeah. which was a heck of a catch and throw. So um, really nice. I, one of our readers pointed this out to me, and I want to I bring it up really quick about Nate, Nate Yarnell. One last thing. 
I don't think he made a bad throw. Like nothing into quad coverage, nothing into triple coverage, nothing that was like hanging and could get intercepted. I mean, those two rainbows that he threw to Jared Wayne, the 30-yard bombs, those were good footballs. They were placed perfectly. They were right on the sideline, only where he could get them. So I wanted to point that out real quick about Yeah, his worst pass him. was still a completion. The, yeah. the 18-yarder to Bub Means, it was a low throw. You know, he almost skipped it in there. It was a good a good reception by, by means and he's had some drops. So that was good to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, everything else was good. And if I'm just going to put my fan hat on, uh, he threw the ball better and cleaner than I've ever seen Nick Patty throw the ball. Okay. That's your assessment. I don't, I don't disagree with it. I, just I, cause I haven't seen Nick Patty throw a lot, quite frankly. You know what I got, what I've seen from Nick Patty is peach bowl and, you know, just like you guys, Peach Bowl and then second half of Tennessee. So yeah, keep in mind the distinction there. I'm not telling you that I think Nick Patty can't throw a ball that well. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's better than I've ever seen him throw the ball because I've never seen him on the field healthy long enough to throw a lot of balls. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, it that's the only judgment I can give it is what I've seen. I don't get to watch them practice, so. Can I uh, can I take a moment to rehash the injury situation? Because I think Absolutely. this is because I think this is an important topic as we go into Rhode Island. So did not travel, not on the travel roster. Nick Patty, Rodney Hammond, Owen Drexel, uh, defensive end Dayon Hayes, and D tackle Devin Danielson. So five star, you, you know, five starter or four starters, I guess, but five if you mean if you really count Patty as the backup. Um, yeah. Dressed, but did not play. So they traveled, but they didn't play. Keaton Slovis, Gabe Hoy, Deslin Alexander. So team captains, two captains right there. And then Gabe Hoy, your starting right tackle, did not play. And then obviously hurt during the game. We saw Jared Wayne go down. We saw Marquez Williams go down. Nate Temple got hurt. And then Hoppe Baldonado got hurt. So I'm counting what? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 names on the injury report right now. And 11 of those, 10 of those, are starters. So I think, and this might segue us a little bit into Rhode Island. Number one thing is get healthy. I I mean, you have to at this stage, find a way to get healthy. Maybe this is why we haven't seen Gabe Hoy yet. Maybe this is why Deslin missed the second game in a row. Maybe this is why, um, you know, Dayon was held out and didn't travel. Maybe this is why Rodney didn't travel. Like you got to, kind of get the health going before ACC play starts because again like you said it's go time you know you can't you can't really slip up against these ACC teams and Pitt has definitely caught an injury bug right now and it's a little little concerning to me yeah absolutely and you know you see two thin positions in particular get affected like wide receiver and um, defensive back with with Marquez Williams he's probably their best at most seasoned back there I would say and Jared Wayne is very much so the leader of the the wide receivers. So those two in particular, man, you really want to get them healthy before ACC play. Well, Baldonado too. I, I think Baldonado, yeah, Baldonado, you know, some preseason mock drafts had him going in the first round of the NFL draft. That's uh, what I saw. And ob- I mean, obviously your quarterback and your right tackle and your two-time team captain, Deslin Alexander and, you know, you're running back Rodney Hammond, who made West Virginia look like powder puff football. I mean, 
these are significant injuries, I think. This, your starting center. I, I mean, the the names and the, the positions attached to these guys that are on the injury report, they're significant names. You know, again, 10 out of 12 of these guys are starting players. So, you know, you got to kind of get right on that. I hope that the uh, injuries to Wayne and Williams aren't too, too serious. And obviously with Baldonado, too. I think I saw Baldonado um, still in uniform. I, I don't remember if he came back yeah, into the game. he just took his helmet off and was standing there. So it, it, it didn't look like yeah. – um, I mean, whatever his was, it, it's one of those ones where if you're watching from home, you're kind of going like, oh, he's probably all right. Okay. You know, Good. he's standing there like I could go back in maybe if I wanted to. He was actually standing next to Narduzzi, like tapping him on the shoulder every once in a while. Like, come on, let me, you know. <laughs> right. Well, I saw him in the injury tent and I was like, here we go again, you know, but uh, that's good to hear. I, again, I can't really watch much of the broadcast when I'm in the box and I have a thousand things flying around and Pat Narduzzi's talking about playing Beethoven in a hotel lobby. <laughs> so hard to watch a game when you have all that going on. Let's take another quick break, come back, finish up, talk about Rhode Island a little bit. All right, and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Gary and Corey with you, and we're going to try as best as we can to talk a little bit about Rhode Island, um, FCS school, Corey. We don't know a whole lot, a whole lot about them, really, besides who they've played and what their record is, and I'm going to let you fill in as many blanks as you can, and we'll talk about where we think Pitt can take most advantage. Well, thankfully, I covered the FCS once upon a time and my time in uh, Youngstown State. But this game, the big storyline is that it's the Pat Narduzzi Alumni Bowl, however you want to call it. But it's his, al- it's his alma mater. You know, Pat Narduzzi, a linebacker at, at Rhode Island from 1987 to 1989. He goes back to coach there from 93 to 97 as a linebacker coach. He's their D, D coordinator in 98 and 99. This is a special thing for him. And, I I mean, you don't want to make the coach the story. You really don't want to do that. But I think it's neat when this kind of thing happens. And, obviously, this is a bye game. And Rhode Island's an FCS team. They have to make their money in some way. And here's the thing about Rhode Island, okay? Let me try to paint this as best as I can. Rhode Island's ranked 14th in the FCS. They just lost to number 10 Delaware in a pretty bad way, by the way. But, regardless – they lose to a top 10 FCS team. Their scoring offense is tied for 22nd in the league. Their scoring defense is tied for 23rd in the uh, FCS. So this isn't a massive cupcake game either, right? This is a good Division I AA FCS program. This is a good program. They play in the Colonial Athletic Association, the CAA. So it's a pretty good FCS league, you know, I admittedly am not a savant on Rhode Island football either, but here's what I can say about what needs to happen on Pitt's side. First off, like we talked about in segment two about injuries, get healthy, you know, find some way to play the game and win the game despite having as many players on the injury table as you do. Um, I think the key thing against Rhode Island, and maybe we'll see it again next week, in a similar manner, we, we just saw against 
uh, Western Michigan is it's going to be another classic Narduzzi game plan where he jams the football down their throat with Izzy and Rodney and Sebo and Vincent Davis and Daniel Carter and lets whoever's a quarterback, whether it's – if it is Keen Slovis, like we talked about it could be if he truly is going to be 100% next week, then maybe he attempts, what, 20 passes? What yeah. If Nate Yarnell attempts 12 against Western Michigan, what's a, what's a comfortable number you'd – I'm asking you. What's a comfortable number you'd be willing to see – Keaton Slovis throw against Rhode Island. Is it 20? Is it 25? What's it at? What's it at for you? I think if they threw it 20 to 25 times, I'd be shocked with any quarterback against Rhode Island. I don't think they're going to need to throw the ball that much, to be honest with you. Well, no, I, I want to make that clear. I don't think so either. But for the sake of getting out some of those um, yeah. some of those wrinkles in the game, I'd in the execution. 10, 10 to 15 good passing routes plays you know i'd like to see a little bit of uh run pass option run some play action you know just some different sets make sure that you got a good handle on all that stuff i don't even care about the completion percentage all that much because let's be honest it just doesn't matter as much against this opponent it would not surprise me if the game script from this week against western was a carbon copy against rhode island if Narduzzi ran a similar philosophy. Now, is that a good thing? Do we want to do that? Because in ACC play, you're not going to have this luxury anymore of just being a better and more talented football team. You're just not going to have that. So do you start to put in some of that uh, chocolate drizzle, if you will, on the vanilla? Do you start to let Keaton or Nate air it out downfield a little more? Does if Nate plays against Rhode Island, does he attempt more than twelve passes? That you know, does he does he get closer to that twenty that twenty mark? Um, it depends on the health of the receivers too. You know, with Jared Wayne in particular, it depends on health there. So I, I'm curious because I think you're going to see another, and you might at home be watching the game like, why is this even close? Like it's the first quarter, we're not blowing them out by twenty one. Like I think next week is going to be and. Pitt's not going to disrespect Rhode Island and, you know, say, oh, it's a scrimmage for us and, and this and that. They're not going to do that. But I think what Pitt is going to do against Rhode Island is try a little bit more than what we've seen at least early on in these games, in these first few games. Early on, it was kind of slow process, started up slow, vanilla at first, um, run the ball, a little conservative. Now, that might happen at first again against Rhode Island, but I'd expect them to open up a few more plays. They're not going to put anything like um, their A plays on tape for Georgia Tech to see. Absolutely. So I'm not ex- like, I'm not expecting a, a masterpiece, a symphonic masterpiece from Frank Signetti in, in a play-calling sense and a masterpiece of a game from the quarterback but I want a clean game. I want Pitt to play a clean game. These three games haven't been the cleanest brand of football that Pitt could play. On the defensive side of the ball, the Panthers, they may dumb down their playbook on, on offense, and they and they have always done that against inferior competition. They never change their defense, though. They're still going to leave those corners on an island. They're still going to send pressure. They're still going to do everything they do against everybody. So when you're facing a team like this, your only real way of getting burned is if the quarterback is good and they have at least one really good receiver that has a good day. Well, 
you know, Rhode Island does have um, Kasim Hill. He's not bad. I mean, he's averaging about 235 yards a, a game, and and he, he's got some some talented receivers out there that that can get the ball, and especially if Marquez Williams is 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 hurt. You know, you wonder if Pitt maybe should adjust that that game plan a little bit and give some help to the backside yeah. out there. Well, Pitt's or uh, Rhode Island's two leading receivers, Katero Summers and Ed Lee, they're both averaging over 17 yards a catch. Summers has three touchdowns. Lee has two, but Lee has more receptions. He has 15 receptions to Summers 11. He has 88 yards a game to Summers 63. So those are going to be the two guys. Uh, that Rhode Island leans on. Rhode Island's running back, Jalen Smith, 29 carries for a net 195 yards and two touchdowns. He's averaging 6.7 yards a carry. Their backup running back, Marquez the Shields, 32 carries, two touchdowns. He's averaging 5.8 per carry. <clears throat> so this isn't a slouch offense. You know, they have a few weapons. And again, the FCS level Here's what I'll say about that. And you can look at a player like a Tyler Wiltz as an example who came over from Missouri State, albeit that's one of the top programs in that. They almost beat, who was it, Arkansas yesterday? Right. Was it Arkansas? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, these FCS, these FCS teams have done it before where they've marched into a top 25 team and they've won, right, Michigan? Sure. So Pitt, Pitt struggled with Delaware a couple of years ago. He struggled, so, yeah, with, absolutely. He struggled with Youngstown State, however many, you know, about – that well, that's because the Penguins are awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, but. yeah. <laughs> you, listen, I know we are. You know, we're we're always we're always proud Penguins. Uh, my alma mater. Listen, my alma maters in football, they go together like coffee and cream. It's amazing. <laughs> Syracuse is I mean, a football the, school. <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to note. It's important to note all the stats we bring up from Rhode Island. They're from facing Stony Brook, Bryant, and Delaware. Sure. No, so, I, I, and, but that's not to discredit them either. I mean, it's, that's it's the not. It's just to say that there's a reason that Western Michigan was running the ball really well until they ran into Pitt this week, right? Sure. I mean, like, it, there's there's a reason for 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 the different leagues, and yeah. and I think they 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 make themselves apparent as the game goes on. You know, Pitt's offensive line, for instance, in in the Western Michigan game took over mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. Just absolutely took over. Defensive line was, was everywhere too. Fourth. De- yeah. Defensive line was everywhere too. Give that you got to give them credit too. They were everywhere. You know, it, sure. again, they didn't flood the stat sheet with sacks, but they were putting pressure on Salopec, the uh, the Norwin kid. So, you know, they did it right. I, again, I, I think the game plan yeah. was solid and people at home were probably, you know, throwing the lunatic bricks at the TV. But I thought it was fine. You know, I didn't think this was going to be the sexiest football game I ever saw. I thought it was going to be a, a rock fight in some ways, and it was up until a certain point. Yeah. Uh, all in all, though, I think uh, Rhode Island is a, is a good tune-up matchup for them. I do think uh, in the secondary they will face a few challenges because they do like to throw deep, and all it takes really is some, some bad penalties and, you know um, – a couple good plays and, and, you know, a team like that can march right down the field on you. So um, interesting to say the least. I think that they'll probably come out of this uh, with a three and one record, but you know, it's good to uh, hopefully come out of it feeling a lot more polished. Like we were talking about heading into Georgia tech. So 
it's time to wipe the cobwebs, right? You got to wipe the cobwebs yep. off of the uh, the machine and and get it spinning. So let's let's get that out of pit this week. That would be my expectation going into this Rhode Island game is to just play a sound football game and clean up some of the stuff. And number one of all things is to get healthy. Yep, and I think you said the key word clean. That's what it should be. And speaking of clean, we should end this show on a tidy note here. <laughs> With the uh, well, we're only five minutes over our projection, so we'll we'll keep it clean and say, "Hail to Pitt!" <laughs> <laughs>